This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. A big shout out to Mike C, who's become our newest patron. Woo! And thanks also to Matthias who's made a one-off donation to us. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. If you want to help us out, head to gainongay.com slash donate. Today, we are joined by one of my favorite people ever. I think this guy inspired me growing up, coming out as a gay person. It was amazing to see another gay in the public eye. I have so much love for this guy. I think my mum for a long time thought that I was going to get married to him. <laughs> and no, it's not Dan Hudson. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we're joined by Will Young. Yes. What's your favorite Will Young song, Dan? I mean, there's so many. Jealousy, <gasps> Leave Right Now. I cried so much to Leave Right Now. What about you? Uh, I quite like the key change in Evergreen. <laughs> oh, what a key change. That is the gayest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Will Young won Pop Idol in 2002. He was the first winner of Idol in the UK. Yeah, and up until recently, he was the co-host of the podcast Homo Sapiens. And he's just brought out a book which kind of covers his experiences overcoming shame as a gay man. Yeah, and I think a lot of us relate to that. We're going to talk to him about his struggles with love addiction too, with disassociation and dealing with homophobic attacks throughout his career. Yes, yeah, so we caught up with Will and his dog. I'm amazed you didn't bring your dog out, James. But <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's a reason for that. I didn't want to flirt. And I thought if I started being all like, oh, look, I've got a dog too. We've got something in common. Then the next thing out of my mouth would be like, can I have your number? So I thought I'd just hold it down. I'm sure mega famous actor, singer, author, Will Young. I'm sure he'd be really interested in you. I think that's, that's incredibly rude, actually, Dan. All right, I better leave right now. Um, here's Will. Oh, good one. A gay and a non-gay. I wanted to say, like, having read your book, although you obviously have felt a lot of pain and shame as being a gay man, it's important for me to tell you that actually your journey kind of helped me a lot when I was growing up because I don't think I was that far behind you. But seeing you come out, in the sort of dignified way you did, did actually have a profound effect on me. So I think it would have done that for a lot of people, as I'm sure you know. Thank you very much. It's quite a special thing to hear that. I think sometimes, particularly being like a known person, one can forget how powerful something that we might have done that might support another individual without us even knowing. And yeah. so when I say I do appreciate that, I, I, I genuinely you know do shall we do yeah. the interview now <laughs> <laughs> at the at the very beginning of the book you said that um your the gay shame that you have has stopped you and you use the phrase flying in life and i just wonder what what you mean by that and, and what you think where you could have been flying if you, you hadn't had this shame i think it was more you know when we have things that keep us down in life you know and they're quite particularly things from our past or things that have been put on us normally from childhood that we didn't even have a choice about so like we're disempowered and we're 
we don't even know why we're being held back because what it leads to is opinions about ourselves, low self-esteem. And if you don't have good self-esteem and confidence and belief in yourself, it's going to be very difficult to do things. It's difficult to set boundaries in relationships. It's difficult to um, assert yourself at work. You know, the list just goes on and on. Um, so that's what I mean by that. You know, I had, there was a part of me that in relation to my sexuality, but then it spilt out into my whole being that I was, you know, effectively wrong and defect because those were the messages that came, you know, flooding thick and fast from the age of f- six when I sort of preferred Bobby Ewing to Pam. And this is kind of what, get, I mean, you've summed up gay shame in a way there. That is exactly what gay shame is. It's something that you don't even realise you've you've had put on you. And even though you don't realise you're gay at such a young age, um, it's like in Nanette, you know, the closet isn't shameproof and, and it leaks through. And before you know it, you grow up and you're unable to do things because you sort of feel uh, nervous and ashamed of who you are. I remember not being able to order yes. a coffee at Starbucks. I was so nervous of my choice that they'd think I was gay or something. It's oh, my ridiculous. God. Yeah, I know. And it, it sounds so it can seem so ridiculous. But I remember being so paranoid that I was wearing red New Balance trainers. Wow. from the age of 18. Weird that I didn't care about the floral shirts that I used to wear. I didn't know what that was about. For some reason, I was obsessed with these red trainers. What is it about red New Balance trainers that equals... God knows. I don't, I don't know. It was just so... But that was just my fixation. And it sounds so... You know, it feels so silly, but yeah. that was my fixation, was that that was going to be a thing that's going to make people see that I'm gay and you must not be visible. You know, because if you're visible the shame and the social exclusion from that. There's a reason why suicide rates are almost double amongst young gay men in comparison to young straight men. And then transgender is almost, almost triple. You know, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Sorry to dampen the mood. <laughs> no, it's so important. I mean, we had a listener recently say, how do I remove the shame I'm experienced, uh, experiencing? Oh, really? And it's really hard to answer that. And the best way I put it was that actually it's not, it's not you that's you've been given it like society's put that on you so you kind of just have to know that and move forwards as much as you can but it is it's tough to get through that it is tough and the first thing is to realize it and that took you know i didn't even realize it was there till i was 32 and i read a book called the velvet rage and it was a very good book i took a few key points and i think if you can take a few key points from any of those kind of self-help books brilliant you're winning and so once I realised I had it, it it was like expunging. It was like an excommunication and um, it took me two years. Yeah, I got a lovely message from a friend and I didn't even realise he'd been working through gay shame during lockdown. It'd obviously come up and he just sent me the most amazing message. And I thought, well, wow, my job's done, you know. Wow. I was so pleased that he felt he had permission to share it. And quite often we need to feel safe. And if we hear someone else say, gosh, you know what? I feel like that it gives permission to someone else because so often we don't want to share anything that's seen as negative because we don't know how people are going to handle it. And there's nothing worse than being invalidated or ignored when we share something very vulnerable about ourselves. So quite often we need permission to then be able to share that. And that's kind of what the book is. And if if you are listening and you don't know what it is, like I want to talk about some of the nuances about how that creeps into us because um, you talk about how the papers would say someone has 
admitted that they're gay, almost kind of suggesting that there's wrongdoing in there. Yeah, little things like that. Language makes such a such a difference. I'm gay, but I'm just normal. You know, something right. like that. Well, that's negative or whatever. Um, I mean, obviously, then a lot of things that happened to me in the papers were a lot more explicit than that, you know? I mean, one paper, they basically said I was abusing boys at school because I was gay and I was part of this sort of ring. I mean, it was really dark. But the thing is, you didn't have recourse to do anything there. There was no legal recourse, you know, and certainly if I'd ever tried to, even as late as like 2010, try and get some kind of, you know, make an example of it, I would have just been seen as whinging and it would have really damaged my career. Now, thank God, it's so, so different. But yeah, when I look back at some of the things... My God, it was like, it was crazy. I can't believe that as gay people, we would put up with that, all that kind of shit. I can't believe we put up with that. I mean, it, it makes me so happy that it's so much better now. But I mean, honestly, there was things like Will's being difficult and he's ordering pink towels on tour. You know, why was it pink? Will's, uh, oh gosh, I mean, just so many things. Chris Miles, you know, awful about me on Radio 1 to like 8 million people. I mean, how many people listen to that show? Like, it could be a kid... You know, it could be the kid en route to school, you know, people in the workplace and you're hearing a gay person being ridiculed, you know, and the BBC didn't really care. They couldn't have been more like laissez-faire about the whole thing. And actually, I said, I actually think I'm owed a proper apology, you know. I do too. I don't think that ever really happened. So I think that's probably the only thing in the book that I'm potentially still a little bit bitter about, potentially. So this is on Radio 1 and the host of The Breakfast Show basically... He used the word gay a lot on air as a derogatory term anyway, but also just fired, yes. as you put it, a rampage of homophobia at you. Yeah, it was very it was very odd, and I think he sort of feels that... I don't know, it's not against him, but I think it was so important to mention him and that event because people can't believe it, and I think we have to look... We have to look at history to know what happened back then because then we can spot the signs. So, for example... You know, look at Trump. You know, you think, oh, something like Hitler will never happen again. That's not true, because it was in a time of economic downturn. He wrote a massive piece of propaganda. It then got supported by Ford in the US, and people were looking for reasons post-World War One as to why, you know, the economy the way it was. And you get people when they're scared and they're down. Those kind of things happen again, and you create polarised politics. And you get persecution. So we've got to look at history to learn and spot the signs for the future. And I look at transgender people and I see what's going on with them now is very similar to, I think, what was happening with gay people 10, 15 years ago. So I found this audio because of what you're saying, Will. I do think it's important that we play it. So if you don't want to hear a rampage of homophobia, skip ahead about 35 seconds. Uh, This is from 2009. I'm here, it's Will's birthday And as the years go by I get more very gay When you saw me years ago, you didn't know But now I'm the gayest fella you probably know I like to wear a silly hat I get camper by the hour Oh, would you look at the muck in here I'm Will Young and I'm gay I'm guessing Chris Miles hasn't 
reached out and apologised since since the book's come out? Or No, and I don't think I'm really looking for that. I, he did try and apologise at the time, and that's fine. I didn't realise quite what was said then. I honestly have not harboured this sort of grudge against him. I think he's probably quite a reformed person, and I don't think it will come as a surprise, and he wasn't necessarily liked by a lot of people, you know, and he had a bit of a fall from grace. That happens to all of us. I'm sure he's done some soul-searching, and I'm sure he's a very different person, so it would be so, like, stupid and immature of me to go on some rampage against him. Uh, But I do think the BBC as an institution and Radio 1 were not kind, actually, and didn't take it seriously enough. And I think they should have, even at that stage. But I was too nervous because I didn't want to be banned suddenly or just, you know, get... It's an interesting example of when you see where the power is, you look at something like the Me Too movement. I know people that, you know, singers that I work with who have worked, female singers who have worked with other artists, and they have had awful things happen to them recently. But they don't talk about it because they want to work. They've got kids. And that was part of my concern, is that I wanted to work. So it's just, it's, no, it's just really, it's really interesting to explore and see what it was like then. A gay and a non-gay. You talk about love addiction in your book. I feel like I've experienced that, but I'd love you to sort of spell it out for people that don't know what that is. This is what I believe is a sign of love addiction. I meet someone, I come back, I ring you guys up, And I go, guys, this is the one. Everything feels right in my world suddenly. Everything is kind of relating to this person. I think this is it. You know, and this is what I've been waiting for. We spend a lot of time together very quickly. You know, oh my God, he moved in within three dates. Honestly, we've we've already been talking about marriage. Can't believe it. You can both be my best men. And then after five weeks, it all comes crashing down. If you have abandonment stuff, in your life from the past when I will meet someone who is very likely to abandon me emotionally there's a massive spike in my body but what what I do is I think that that's love I'm like I feel like this rush of emotions is love it's not actually it's me being triggered back into that anxious state of being abandoned and it's very difficult to get out of and it is quite complicated but really that's what a love addiction is and when I hear that from someone else, oh my god, I've met this person. We just we hung out all weekend. I'm like, this ain't gonna work. This ain't gonna work. It's all gonna come crashing down. And 99% of the time, it does. It took me a long time to realise that what I thought was love was actually just a heightened reaction to someone who is completely not right for me. When it happens once or twice, by the third time, do you not think alarm bells not going off going, yeah, I've been here before, I know this story? It does if you're wanting to be mindful and change things and notice things in your life. Um, the thing is that what happens is our nervous systems, when we're abandoned a lot and we have funny attachment, uh, you know, not, not healthy attachment to our primary caregivers. Oh, I really feel like a therapist. You um, really sound like one. I've had had shitloads of therapy. (laughs) When our attachment to our primary caregivers was stunted for whatever reason, our nervous system believes, so it's not our minds, that that is actually love. So when we meet someone that is going to do that same kind of attachment with us, our bodies think that's love because that's all we ever experienced. So to change that, we need to be really mindful 
of our bodies, not our minds. When we meet someone, if I meet someone and I'm like, he's a lawyer, he's got a sausage dog, he's got money, he seems very calm, this is perfect. If I, I have to tune in with my body and if my body's screaming and I'm like, nope, not the one, even though he looks like a model. Oh my God. I mean, it's funny, Dan, you said that because... You've, you've been on this podcast, so you've heard me go through exactly the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I have, but I just yeah. I still don't really understand how it, how it works. It's weird. Um, it's like listening to myself really, Will. Uh, and it, what upsets <laughs> me about that is that I don't understand why someone with a completely different life to you can have so many of the same experiences. And it's purely because of all of the shame and all of the bullshit that we have to go through. It doesn't just necessarily have to be because of one's sexuality you know love addiction can come from gay shame but it could come also from attachment stuff in my past you know trauma in my past but what I think so wonderful is that we actually are all quite similar as people and it would be so much better if when we turned up you know for dinner with friends they go how are you rather than going oh I'm a bit tired at the moment you go well you know what my mum was a bitch to me this week and it's really brought up stuff about the past and this hasn't happened to me by the way and um (laughs) and and someone goes yeah i get that my mum's like that and i have that with some friends now and it's not intense it's not like oh my god we just have a laugh about it and i just wish we are actually very similar a lot of us we all actually do have a lot of similar inner worlds just don't open up yeah we don't. Another uh, condition that you've experienced is uh, dissociation, which is just truly, truly fascinating. Can you tell us a bit about that and how, how it's affected your life? Dissociation is quite an underexplored anxiety disorder, for want of a, a better phrase. I don't really like the phrase disorder, but I can't think of another one. Symptom. Um, and our bodies are kind of unique because if I was to be attacked by a lion... Often when people have car crashes, they say, it was like I went out of my body and I watched the whole thing. Our bodies, when we think we're going to die, we actually leave our bodies so we don't feel the pain. So if I jumped off a building, I wouldn't feel it when I landed because I've left. It's like the ultimate defense system. It's kind of amazing. It's not so amazing when your body thinks you're under attack, but you're just walking down the street. And I got, became dissociated heavily and... Uh, depersonalized and derealized so those are the three things and I couldn't see my face in the mirror and I I was like a walking ghost and it was um you know it was abs- it was literally like hell on earth and when it gets really bad you sort of think you're in a film you think you might be in a video game you have huge existential crisis often a lot of young people young men actually I don't know why can get it if they take drugs at the, in their late teens early 20s and I know a lot of people that have experienced that and haven't got out of it. It's a terribly difficult thing to get out of. I'm actually amazed I didn't kill myself. And I don't mean that dramatically. I actually am quite amazed because it was there was no point really living, you know, because I had no em- emotional recall. So I'm, not, I'm in the, my, my kitchen where I've been my whole life in my, my family house. I feel really lucky. 41 years I've been in this kitchen and I have an re- emotional recall, you know, to it now. I'm getting really nice feeling of like safety and support. I'm remembering so many different things as I look around the kitchen. And I didn't have that for three years. So I was just like nothing. It was like a shadow. Yeah, it was awful. A gay and a non-gay.
the winner of Pop Idol 2002 is Will! Rewinding quite a bit, before you came out, sort of on the cusp of this incredible career that you've had, did you ever think, do you know what, it's going to be easier if I'm just don't come out, just just set myself up with a, a, a fake sugar babe relationship or a fake atomic kitten or whoever was around at the time uh, eternal <laughs> you could have you could have saved louise from eternal yeah i could have my god i could have gone out with it could have saved it from jamie redknapp yeah um, no because i'd already come out at university and i was just like god that would just be such hard work yeah i know people that have done it you know people that we probably all know but i won't talk about it it's not my place to talk for them you know and i just thought god that must be exhausting and also, you must feel so ashamed, you know, pretending the whole time. Um, so the idea of doing that, I just thought would be so tiring. But you know what's really interesting? When I, like, years later, someone pitched, not years later, but a couple of years later, someone, so I'd been, like, out as a famous gay man for two years or something, and someone pitched a video <laughs> for me running down the beach with a girl in hand in hand. And I was like, oh, my God, I really hope that they don't, know that I'm gay because otherwise this is the craziest thing <laughs> I actually couldn't believe it did you consider it then did people suggest this to you as an idea because you said then you thought it would be exhausting as though you had considered it it was a little bit because it was during this show Pop Idol that I was on it's a big talent show kind of launched all the other ones and it was the final week and it was becoming more and more kind of prevalent that everyone knew I was gay anyway and they just sort of said well if they ask you don't say because it will, it will overtake and overshadow the final and I sort of got that but I did stand my ground and I went if someone asked me I haven't gone through all that shit at university to then deny it it was weird because because from coming out I was quite like forthright about it I just had a huge backlog of shame which I didn't realise you know, so yeah. I was quite like, that's what confused me because I was quite like, I'm not going to take any of this crap. But I didn't realise there was a huge hangover of shame from all those years of just being battered constantly, you know, of not physically, but, you know, just all the messages, AIDS, HIV, you're going to die. You know, you're wrong, you're perverse, it's a gay plague, you should all be rounded and killed, you know, all those things. But weirdly, like day to day, I was quite like, Screw you. My best ever moment. Can I tell you my best ever moment? Yeah, yeah, please. Outside a pub in Hampstead. And um, these kids turned up in a Vauxhall Nova. Um, <laughs> you know, with a, like a it was low slung and had like a, a exhaust that made it sound, you know, more powerful than it was. And they shouted faggot at me. So I just shouted back at them, faggot. <laughs> great, they, great they, comeback. Then they, went, <laughs> then they went, batty boy. And I went, batty boy. <laughs> and they were really confused. They were like, oh, oh no, I don't know what to do. So they drove off. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. Like, just it say the so, same thing back. It was so funny. It was so amazing. Funny. Yeah, because they just don't... Then I tried it again and then someone tried to beat me up so it only worked once. But Oh, really? Oh, no. okay. It was very funny. Very what's, funny. what's your second favourite moment? Uh, singing with James Brown. <laughs> right, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, James Brown. You're not quite <laughs> as fun as homophobia. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for chatting to us and, and taking the time out. I've really, really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy being back on a podcast, Will? Yeah, oh, I do. I, I do like podcasts. It became too busy doing Homo Sapiens and Chris Sweeney, who I was doing it with, he now does it with Alan Cumming, which I think is a pretty good upgrade, I have to say. <laughs> um, but I do miss it. I miss speaking with people 
Well, yeah. anytime, if I'm off sick or whatever, and you want to cover, and you can, you can be the gay on a gay and a non-gay, you're very oh, welcome thank to Thank you very much. That. Yeah. So what do you enjoy about your podcast before I go? What, oh, my God. The power of helping people. Like, it makes me cry all the time. The messages we receive from people that we've helped without knowing it. Even listening to you today, it's it's magical, really, like knowing I'm not alone. And I know other people listening will feel that too. So thank you for being so open. And I know how difficult it is to get to that point. And, you know, we've both joked about all the therapy we've been through. But, oh my God, I mean, it takes so much work. And it's so brave to face all your demons and be who you are. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. And it is worth it. And I do relate to that. I felt like the podcast became more about it was something that I never expected that it became a real purpose and um, it became much bigger than myself it was about suddenly these people that were writing in relating and and also it was our own world no one else could touch it because there are no powers that be going you can have it on you can't have it on and created this little sort of family I guess it was really really special yeah so I'm I'm really pleased that you get that from it oh my father's back i better go i think you better uh leave right now okay no he's gone good definitely for the best (laughs) you know something that will mentions in the book is that uh when he tried to find help to deal with his gay shame um the first thing that came up and i don't want to i don't want to set you off but um it was conversion therapy why when you google how to get rid of gay shame does a conversion therapy website come up? I mean, I guess they've got good SEO. <laughs> I wish we did. Anyway, I, I just want to like end this for good. And I feel like this, I, I mean, it's like my mission now after doing that documentary for the BBC. That clearly wasn't enough. That clearly didn't bring enough attention to this barbaric practice. Mm. So if you are listening and you've been affected by conversion therapy or someone you know has been affected by conversion therapy even if it's too painful and you or they don't want to talk about it i get that and you don't have to but we need to we need people to know that this is happening we need people to know the damage that this is 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 having on on our queer youth and we need to shut this down it's absolutely ridiculous um to think that this still goes on in in 2020 and and one of the things that we've learned is that it doesn't just affect, you know, the person that's um, that's going through it. Quite often it has a real negative effect on people around them as well, their friends and their family. And also Dan and I have received messages from people who have been married to men who tried to suppress their sexuality and have had to come out and leave their families. Like, this is all part of the same problem. Is that you? Is that someone you know? You can email us completely confidentially. Our email address, us at gaynongay.com. Yeah, that's us at gaynongay.com. You can also join our listener group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash gaynongay to continue the conversation or slide into our DMs at gaynongay. Thank you so much to Will Young for joining us this week. And if you need help dealing with gay shame, please do reach out to the LGBT Foundation. You can phone them on 03453 303030 or online at lgbt.foundation or speak to Switchboard LGBT Helpline on 0300-330-0630 or find them online at switchboard.lgbt slash help. If you've been affected by our conversation about love addiction, you can reach out to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. You can find them at slaauk.org.
And don't forget, our DMs are always open too. We love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support gay and non-gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.